Welcome to the One World Podcast, a series of thought-provoking stories and interviews about some of the leading science and technology from around the world. In this episode, we look at Biosphere 2, a research facility in Arizona that's giving us hope in the face of global climate change. Biosphere 2 is an incredible tool in the hands of amazing scientists that is dedicated to understanding the effects and impacts of global climate change. They help us anticipate what are the possible responses of landscape scale ecosystems to major changes in the dynamics associated with climate, particularly water and temperature. So the consequences of global climate change, which the UN has already warned us about in the most explicit of ways, we can study here. And we can also think about how to ameliorate those consequences. So the culmination of the changes of the climate over the past three and a half decades I've been here are really coming to bear on us in very harsh terms right now. When we think of the Earth, we think of Earth systems all interplaying with each other. And that's precisely what happens here at Biosphere 2. You don't just look at a system in isolation, you can link them all together to see what happens. My name's John Adams, I'm Deputy Director here at Biosphere 2. The key is to be able to adapt. In order to be able to adapt, we have to understand what's coming our way. Without a facility like Biosphere 2, it makes some of those predictions much more difficult. But we really have an opportunity to provide insight in ways that other facilities can't, but very much complement the world's observatories and laboratories. My name is Betsy Cantwell, and I'm the Senior Vice President for Research and Innovation at the University of Arizona. What we have in Biosphere 2 is this incredible combination of the ability to do very large-scale, yet controlled studies on uniquely controlled ecosystems. There is no place else like it in the world. Some of the conditions that we currently see facing us, whether it's the increased temperature on coral reefs, droughts and tropical forests, increased desertification, they're happening right now and they're continuing to progress. Well, here they are running those exact experiments to see how those systems will recover. Each of these systems can be precisely controlled so that we can conduct experiments to understand the impacts of global climate change. My name is Jeffrey C. Silvertooth. Jeff Silvertooth, I'm a professor and extension specialist in agronomy and soil science at the University of Arizona. You go into a laboratory like B2, and you're saying, here are the factors that we think are driving this change. And we can then monitor those, model or alter those parameters, CO2, temperature, et cetera, et cetera, trace gas, other trace gases in the atmosphere, and then see what happens and see if indeed those changes and those, those parameters in the atmosphere in B2 translate to a change consistent with what we're seeing in the field. I'm Cherry Murray, and I am the Deputy Director for Research at Biosphere 2. Biodiversity loss is a true crisis. Emitting carbon into the atmosphere is a true existential crisis. If we don't do both of those at once, while maintaining some kind of equity or trying to make sure that what we do doesn't make inequities in the world worse, um, we are on our way. Inside Biosphere 2 is a tropical ocean system. 
And what's unique about this is we can control all of the variables. We can control the temperature. We can control the water chemistry. And this system is different from your typical aquarium in that we are willing to push the boundaries of this system to understand the response of the organisms. And not just a single organism, but the entire community. I'm Diane Thompson. I'm the Director of Marine Research here at the Biosphere 2. So unfortunately, as you all know, we are in really dire straits and, and at risk of losing our coral reefs entirely if we continue to do nothing about climate change. So today we've estimated to have lost already about 50% of the world's reefs. Um, and so we're really at the point uh, as a coral reef community where we need to really be moving into action. Um, and so we have really developed innovative solutions for restoring what we call resilient reefs. So reefs that can persist through climate change and disturbances and may not look like the reefs of today, but will still provide that critical goods and services to humanity. It's a really unique opportunity to actually test those solutions before they're applied in the wild. In my work, uh, we've learned that corals that do uh, get hit frequently by stress events, so they get warming frequently, uh, tend to do better when these warm events return. So they then are bleach less severely during subsequent events. So we can actually use that to our advantage and do something we call stress hardening, which is we turn up the temperature, we stress the corals out, and we increase their resistance to temperature stress. We can then uh, restore reefs with these stress-hardened corals, and those corals are more likely to survive um, subsequent heat stress events. The Biosphere 2 rainforest is 35,000 cubic meters. It's 28 meters at its tallest point. It has over 100 plant species, and we can control every variable, from temperature to carbon dioxide to even the rain that's starting to come down right now. I've been studying tropical rainforests for 20 years, uh, mostly in the Amazon of Brazil, but also here in Biosphere 2. And these are fully assembled ecosystems. But what we really are able to do now in Biosphere 2 is to start from scratch, to build the Landscape Evolution Observatory, which allows us to assemble a complex ecosystem from scratch. Our laboratory for understanding how ecosystems function. So it rains in the mountains. How much water ends up downstream? What impacts the quality of that water? These are questions that we struggle with every day. The Landscape Evolution Observatory was specifically designed to try to shed light on some of those critical questions. As a landscape evolves, how does the movement of water change? As you add vascular plants, how does that further complicate the system? And can we actually develop tools that allow us to better predict so people like water managers and city managers, for example, know how much water they're going to have as we move into the future. The optimistic story is that biological systems are resilient, more resilient than we have often imagined, but that there is a limit to that resilience. And if we don't act soon to stop the changes that we're imposing on this globe and this planet, then we will lose the opportunity that that biology is giving us to save it. My name is Greg Baron Gafford. I'm a professor at the University of Arizona and I study the intersection of food, energy, and water resiliency, especially in dryland environments. All around us, we've been able to see these different climate pressures show up in our natural ecosystems. And more and more, we're hearing about how climate change is impacting um, things that we need to live 
the food that we want to eat, the water that we need to grow that food, and the energy for heating and cooling. And here, that's all we've done. We've just lifted the solar up enough that we can work underneath it and grow food. In this system, I like to say we're harvesting the sun twice. In the overstory, we're collecting renewable energy and it's providing shade for the plants growing below. The plants are growing in that shadier environment so they don't get that midday stress that really, really harms plants, really slows down their production. In exchange for that, just like we perspire and lose water and it cools off our skin, plants transpire and that cooling of the atmosphere actually cools the solar panels overhead, which makes them even more efficient. And the last part of that is the shade in this environment reduces the evaporation of the moisture from the soil, which means the water stays in the ground longer and does the work that we brought it here to do. One of the biggest benefits from agrivoltaics comes in terms of water savings. And we've found by growing food in this agrivoltaics environment, we can cut back half the water and still not see any impact in terms of the production. So what that tells me is that we can cut back more than half the water before we start to see real reductions. So we haven't even seen the full potential in terms of water savings. In terms of what's next, in our next spring growing season, we're gonna switch up our irrigation system and have it be plant driven. You know, when the plants draw down that soil moisture, our soil moisture sensors will detect that and that will trigger the irrigation. That'll be the way that we actually calculate how much water does it take to sustain food in an agrivoltaic system versus a controlled system. One of the important things is the question, is there hope? And I think the lesson from biology is, yes, biological systems are more resilient than we give them credit for. And we're learning all the ways in which biology has ways to cope with stresses and problems of climate change. Biosphere 2 offers an opportunity to understand First and foremost, what is the resiliency and the boundaries for some of these systems? But it also provides information of ultimately where are some of those tipping points. And I have hope because I have seen reefs recover. I have seen evidence for reef recovery, but we need to give them that time by addressing climate change and coming together as a coral reef community to develop some of these solutions in real time. There is absolutely hope. We are an adaptive species. We are seeing that the systems inside Biosphere 2 are showing us that in some cases they have greater resiliency than what we had initially anticipated. And because of that, that does give me hope. But just because we have hope does not mean that we can stop these efforts. We have to continue to forge forward and understand the implications. What are the resiliency and those boundary layers for these systems? Because knowing that is going to allow us to adapt and make changes to allow us to have long-term sustainability. I have hope, and you should have hope, that the work that's being done here will be beneficial both to our generation and the next. It gives the policymaker an opportunity to have additional information available to them that then in turn they can use to shape policy so that we don't reach those tipping points. My name is Joaquin Ruiz, I'm director of Biosphere 2 and Vice President for Global Environmental Futures of the University of Arizona. No other time, on, I think, in, in Earth's humanity has that connection between those, the, the public and private sector and educational sector has been so important. Uh, because the changes that are going to have to be made are going to be driven by policy and scaled up by business. The question really is, how long will those solutions last? 
and can they be passed down to other generations? And we don't know the answers to those questions, and we don't know how these solutions will survive under future ocean conditions. And that's where the Biosphere 2 comes in, because we can actually simulate what oceans will experience, not just today, but 10, 20, 30, 40 years into the future. What I see right now that's important for us to be doing is to take that information, and B2 gives you a chance to do it. What does the basic science say? And how does it really translate to the real world? B2 is a step in that translational process. So I see B2 as a nice tool in the translational science. We know the issues that we need to solve. We also know the issues are solvable. The biosphere, it's like an icon of possibilities. Where do we go from here? Well, the scientists will continue to experiment. They will continue to understand Earth systems. And at the end of the day, those experiments will inform the way that our governments, that our people, that we as citizens of Earth must steward Biosphere One. You've been listening to the One World Podcast. Subscribe for more science stories from wherever you get your podcasts.